Hello, I'm Diane Atwood, podcasting from my little home studio in southern Maine. It's also where I write my blog, Catching Health. Well, sometimes. I changed things up a bit last year and now also spend time in a co-working space in Portland. It's called B-Side Creative Studios, and it's run by some wonderful people, Rico Creative and Adam Burke & Company. I have the best of both worlds, the solitary comfort of home and the inspiration and excitement of sharing space with other people smack in the heart of this city. Several months ago, I heard a quote that I haven't been able to shake, that loneliness and isolation have become the chronic health conditions of this century. I realized that those same issues helped influence my decision to not just work from home. It also made me think about how fortunate I am to have the option, especially now that I'm older. I heard the quote from Donato Tremuto at a conference his company, Tivity Health, co-hosted in Portland this past summer. The focus was on loneliness and social isolation and their impact on the health of older adults living in rural areas. Maine happens to be tied with Florida for being the oldest state in the nation. We also have the highest percentage of people living in rural areas. I wrote a blog post about the conference and, along with thinking about my own situation, thought, maybe I should do a podcast, travel the state and interview people 60 and older about aging and the issues of loneliness and isolation. As I started talking to people, I quickly realized that everyone has a story to tell. And while, yes, some do touch on loneliness and isolation, I heard more stories about resilience and strength and wisdom and inspiration. So... Here I am, kicking off my new Catching Health podcast. I'm calling it Conversations About Aging. And I thought it would be fitting to begin this exciting project by interviewing the man who inspired me in the first place. Conversations About Aging is sponsored by Evita of Stroudwater and Stroudwater Lodge, both in Westbrook, Maine. I could go on and on about Avita, which is a memory care facility. It's where my mother spent the last two years of her life, loved and nurtured by everyone there, as was I and the rest of our family. Right next door is Stroudwater Lodge, which is a lively assisted living community. You can learn more about both places at northbridgecos.com. That's northbridgecos.com. And now my conversation with Donato Tremuto. I know you're a very busy man, Donato, and I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. One of the first questions I wanted to ask you was, why are you so interested in aging issues? Well, I think from several points. Uh, first of all, as the CEO of one of the largest providers of services to the seniors, I have had the opportunity to get out there and meet with thousands and thousands of our members under the Silver Sneakers program. And much of my desire to get out and meet with them probably goes back to the unfortunate year of 1992 when I lost both my parents um, seven months apart. And in that time period, my mom lost 40 pounds and I missed all the um, signs and signals, even though I was uh, an executive in healthcare. I missed all the warning signs of my mother's loneliness. She and my dad had been married for you know almost 55 years. 
Um, they had experienced good and challenging times in their lives, yet what they really respect most of one another is that they had one another. And when my dad passed, my mom just went into uh, a deep state of sadness. And as I was getting out and meeting seniors under our Silver Sneakers program, I was hearing the same stories. I met this uh, member. I attended her 103rd birthday celebration. And when I was there, it hit me that she wasn't a member of Silver Sneakers because she was bench pressing 150 pounds at the gym. She joined the physical fitness program because it was an opportunity for her to meet people. And so my commitment to this cause is more than a professional endeavor. It is, in fact, an opportunity to correct um, what I think is an absolute epidemic. And I think we all know now that loneliness is the new chronic condition of the 21st century. And it's particularly, yes, impacting our vulnerables, the older, but it's also impacting the young. My hope is that if I can address this with the older folks, that maybe we can develop an intergenerational program that brings the young and the old together. And so there is a residual uh, benefit that I see out of this focus on the aging, and that is can we connect them to younger folks and address, if you will, the epidemic from two uh, perspectives, the young and the old. And there's two types of loneliness. Social isolation is an objective measure and is defined as having a small number of social contacts. And you might be living in rural America, which, as you know, in Maine, there's a lot of seniors living in rural America. And they are, unfortunately, detached and they're not around people. But then there's the other you know, aspect of loneliness, and that's a subjective state. And that's where my mother was. My mother was lonely. And that cohort, they're not willing to admit it. My mother never raised her hand and looked at me and said, I'm lonely. But I do remember one time, about two months after my father died, I had taken my mom out to dinner. And we were going back to her home. And she took her key and she put it into the keyhole. And she looked at me and she said, there's a missing link. I will never forget that. And again, you know, my mother was like the, you know, a rock. You know, I just couldn't imagine that I would have at that time said to myself, she's lonely. And so one of the other things that I think I'm working on is that loneliness has to come out of the closet. We have to make it okay for individuals to say, I'm lonely. And that's not happening right now. Now, you've mentioned your program, Silver Sneakers. Not everybody knows what that program is. Can you explain it? Sure. Silver Sneakers is one of the um, premier programs that's offered by the Medicare Advantage um, insurance plans for free to seniors. We develop classes that we put on for the seniors. Um, we connect them, if you will, to the 16,000 gym partnerships that we have. We train those gym partners what it means to address the physical needs of a senior. Well, I'll have to find out how many of these programs exist in our state here in Maine. It's available, but you have to have somebody who's actually running the program. Well, we have 16,000 gyms in the network, and uh, we have quite a uh, healthy network in Maine, and um, perhaps uh, you know we'll follow up with you. 
And, you know, the key is, you know, insurance companies who offer it. And we do have insurance companies um, who are offering it in the state of Maine. I have discovered that Maine does have a lot of resources for older people. Um, and many of the organizations were represented at the conference that you sponsored. I'm curious what you learned from some of the participants. Well, I'll tell you what I learned, and I talk about this in my book uh, that I published a few years ago, that the higher your collaborative IQ, the more you can get done. The reality is that there are programs out there, but the seniors don't know about it. Like Silver Sneakers is a great example. We have over 15 million seniors who are eligible for the program for free. That's a significant percentage of the total cohort of seniors who are 65 and older. Yet only 3.6 million of that 15 plus million have signed up for it. And so I think what I took away is that we've got to get the message out there and we have to drive forward a better connection and awareness and bring these programs together under an integrated uh, model. Single point solutions don't work anymore. And the more we can collaborate with one another, we don't have to innovate we need to integrate. And that was my biggest takeaway is that innovation, we have been doing it for the last 20 years, a lot of it fueled by, you know, Steve Jobs and the great, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, innovators. Yet I think the greatest, uh, the greatest opportunity now is how do we integrate what's out there? And, you know, quite frankly, I am concerned about this loneliness epidemic. I'm, I'll be 63 in July. And quite honestly, you know, when I look at our senior population, these are the individuals that were the policemen, the teachers, the professors, you know, the scientists. Why should they not have a, you know, wonderful, you know, decade or two of great living as they get into their 80s and 90s? And maybe I'm focused on this because I am hoping that I will be the beneficiary of what we do here today. Well, now this is a nice segue because I want to get personal. Uh, you've told me that you're 63, and so that means you qualify to be interviewed for the podcast because I'm planning to travel the state of Maine and talk to people who are 60 and older, and so you're 63, and you also have a home here in Maine. So I do. So can we get personal for a few minutes before we say goodbye? Please go ahead. Okay. I'd like to know what makes it a good day for you. Knowing that I have been compassionate um, to others and that I have in some small way um, listened to their stories. I believe that every single person has a story. And by the way, that's part of this loneliness is that the technology today, these iPhones and all that, we thought it would help to connect and it's actually hurt uh, our Connections. And so for me, a good day is when I have taken the time and asked someone, tell me your story. Uh, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? To me, getting to the core of knowing somebody else um, makes my day. When would you say you've been the happiest or the most fulfilled in your life? I think when I have been in my foundation's work, uh, as you know, I started at a foundation 17 years ago. And I think for me, the happiest moment uh, is when I have been totally immersed uh, in, in helping to right the wrong 
that is out there in our world. You know, somebody who's born in a certain zip code might do better than somebody who was born um, in a zip code where there is, you know, significant amount of crime. And so the ability to help make the world a better place is when I am at my best. And um, I have fortunately had many of those moments. Do you mind sharing the story behind why you started the foundation? Not at all. I, um, I, I launched the foundation uh, four weeks after the fateful day of uh, September 11th. I was scheduled to be on that uh, second plane, uh, United Flight 175, that was leaving Boston for L.A. I took that um, route um, nearly every week for you know five years. I had started my company in California. And the day before, I woke up with a, uh, a toothache on September 10th, and uh, I was speaking at a healthcare conference in California that week, and I was concerned that the toothache would uh, impair my ability to make the speech. And so I decided I would go to Boston and see my dentist. Uh, I was at my home in Maine, and my two friends and their three-year-old had traveled from L.A. to visit, um, to visit me that, uh, that weekend. And they changed their flight on Saturday, September 8th. They changed their flight to go out with me on September 11th. We decided we would fly all together. They had arrived in Rhode Island because the young uh, lad was uh, had overslept, and they missed their flight from L.A. to Boston, so they went from L.A. to Rhode Island. In any event, because my dentist's office was very close to the airport, Boston Logan, I called my travel agent to see if I could go out that night and not out on September 11th, and he was able to get me on the 5 o'clock flight on September 10th. And so I called my friend and said, I'm going out on Monday night. Why don't we all travel together? And they said, no, we've already traveled once, and little David is expecting you to join us, and he's disappointed. And I was playing with my mind. I can still remember that day. I was playing with my mind in terms of, um, gosh, maybe I shouldn't change the flight. I'm going to disappoint the three-year-old. But then I finally said, no, I'm going to go out, get a good night's sleep, and then I can make my speech on Wednesday, September 12th. Well, that decision saved my life. And unfortunately, the decision that my friends made to go out with me on September 11th uh, cost them their lives. And um, the three of them uh, lost their lives when the um, when the second plane hit the um, the tower, and so it was a very painful moment uh, for me. Um, still has some painful uh, aspects to it, um, but you know, I um, I decided that I would um, devote my life to doing good, and I launched the foundation so that I could find a new channel. Um, to channel not only my grief, but to really make some good out of what was clearly um, a horrible event. And that's how the foundation was started. And what do you fund? So it's morphed into, um, we started it in 2001 uh, only as a you know college scholarship program. And we started with a high school in Wells. And... Um, we now honor two, one from Wells and one from Bangor. Uh, it is a significant uh, scholarship, four-year scholarship, and the individual has to demonstrate some challenge that they've had in their life, some bulldozer moment that they've had. And um, 
Uh, it has been one of the most proudest um, segments of the foundation. We have several that work in our company here. It's not only providing scholarships, we provide mentoring and help these individuals who we know can 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 be great, but they need that inspiration and they need that guidance and they need that help. And we now had about 80, 85 laureates in the program. But about 10 years ago, the board and I decided we wanted to do more. We wanted to scale this. And so we decided that each year we would pick three or four major organizations whose goal it is to make the world a more just and fair place and honor them with significant grants to deliver on their vision. And so in Maine, we have uh, a, a three-year partnership with the um, Good Shepherd Food Bank, a significant partnership there for any Peabody. Um, last year, we launched, uh, because of my executive um, involvement in business, I have seen workplace bullying with my own eyes. I have been bullied because of my loss of hearing. Uh, I've been bullied as a child, been bullied in high school, and even in the you know corporate world. And so we funded last year a $1 million grant to the Robert F. Kennedy Center. That's a three-year grant for them to develop a workplace dignity program that we can take out to employers and help them understand that executives bring biases to the workforce. And with the Me Too movement, how can we be a conduit to train executives to make the, wor to make the workplace a more gentle and kinder place? And so we have a scholarship endowed at Boston University. Uh, we've endowed that scholarship where they each year will bring a um, student from a developing country and provide them education uh, in public health so that they can go back and be the ambassadors for their country. We also have one at the Jefferson College of Population Health. And so we have now probably we have about 75 uh, different grants that the foundation has supported over the last 10 years. That's amazing. You you mentioned bulldozer moments. I know you wrote a book about bulldozer moments, and you've mentioned some of your own. As a child, you lost your hearing, and uh, you have taken your bulldozer moments, starting with that, I think, and turned them into good, into positive. That's inspirational. Well, you know, listen, it's... Um... You know, I want others to know that my life has not been, but no one's life has been without challenges. And, you know, I chose to um, pull the bootstraps up and um, rather than be angry and upset at people that may have um, not been so nice and, uh, and polite to me, to try to demonstrate that you can rise above that. And my goal is to really inspire the young and... Um, you know, when I get letters from these young children and the parents who indicate that their, you know, child would not have been able to accomplish what um, what they've accomplished if it wasn't for, you know, this scholarship and the fact that we were mentoring them. You ask what makes me happy. That makes me happy. That just puts a feeling, you know, no amount of wealth or no amount of material um, well-being can ever replace that moment where you are saving a life or you are in fact removing somebody out of their state of loneliness or and you've done your part to make the world uh, a better place you know i was asked recently by a reporter i've never been asked this question before and it was a very provocative question they asked me what are you most afraid will not be here 10 years from now 
And I was quick to answer it, which was a surprise because I'd never been asked that question. And I said, compassion. I feel like we have lost this sense of compassion. And I guess when you say you're compassion, sometimes people equate that with being weak. And it's not. I think we need more compassionate leaders today. And that's my goal. I'm trying to do my part to educate others that being a compassionate leader does not mean you're weak. Well, Donato, I realize that our short window of time is just about up and you need to get back to what you were doing. Uh, Is there anything that you wish I had asked you, but I didn't? Maybe it is this piece about compassion, but is there anything else that's on your mind? No, I just want to thank you. You know, it is, um, look how Collaborative IQ has worked there. You met us, what, a year or two years ago? Was it last year or a year before? It was last year. It was last summer. And look what you've done. And I want to just applaud you for that. And I think that that's the tipping point of Collaborative IQ is that we don't have all the answers, but certainly we do have networks. And my hope is that you will now spread the word. You'll get more people uh, to jump on this bandwagon. And um, I think in five or 10 years, we will have moved the needle remarkably so that when I'm 73, I can look back and say, wow, um, this is not a world of loneliness, but we've done a great job to unlonely the world and to make it really a collaborative and a much more uh, respectful place. So thank you for your part. Well, thank you. I I see it as an important project, but at the very least, I've been having a wonderful time visiting people and recording their stories, including yours. So thank you for helping me kick off conversations about aging. I appreciate it very much. Well, very good. You make it a great day now. Okay, you too. This is Diane Atwood, and you're listening to the Catching Health Podcast, Conversations About Aging. I've been talking with Donato Tremuto, who first inspired me to do this project. Before I say anything else, I need to apologize to him. He was very gracious not to correct me when I said, not once, but twice, that he was 63. His birthday isn't until July, which is months away. Sorry, Donato. If you'd like some more information about his company, Tivity Health, the Silver Sneakers Program, or his foundation, you'll find links on catchinghealth.com, which is home base for my blog and podcast. Now a few thank yous. I could not produce this podcast without help from Smith Atwood Video Services. Yes, the Atwood is a relative. My husband, Barry Atwood, is my editor. See what else they have to offer at smithatwood.com. I'd also like to thank Tom Muser for his support. He's director of the Center for Excellence in Aging and Health at the University of New England. Tom will be using some of the interviews for research on aging issues in Maine.